Thanks for tuning in to our Cypress Church podcast. To learn more about our church, visit our website at cypresschurch.net and join us for our Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. Subscribe on iTunes for more. Good morning, Cypress Church. Welcome, and thanks for joining us today. My name is Kerry Kaufman. I'm the pastor of Connection and Discipleship here at Cypress Church, and uh, it's good to be with you again. Good to dive into God's Word. Just in case you didn't remember, today's Memorial Day. Um, Yes, Memorial Day. We remember those who've given their lives as the ultimate sacrifice on behalf of our country. So I just figured it'd be appropriate to uh, take a time and say a prayer. So if you join with me in prayer, and we'll kick off our service uh, sermon in, uh, in this way. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for holidays like these that can help us remember the things and the people worth remembering. Um, on this Memorial Day weekend, uh, we pray that you'd please help us to be thankful for all of those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, laying down their lives so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we do enjoy today. Um, God, we also remember the ultimate sacrifice that your son Jesus made by laying down his life on our behalf. We also recall his words in John fifteen thirteen: greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And so in honor of those who've served our country and in honor of our Savior who came as a suffering servant, help us to remember, Lord. And God, we also pray that you would help us to love one another now with a love that is sacrificial also. God, we also pray for our time together in your word this morning. May our spirit guide us into truth today, truth that can set us free. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Um, Speaking of sacrifice and and loss, uh, have you ever noticed that life can just be a struggle sometimes? (laughs) I mean, sometimes, maybe. I when we've got uh, just so many things going on in our life, it can really feel like we are suffering. And um, I think of my life group. Uh, we've just been together for a couple years, and already in the few years we've been together, we have seen members in our group lose jobs, lose health, uh, lose their parents, lose kids, and lose spouses. And I just think, wow, in that span, so much has happened. And I just praise the Lord. Thank goodness we have this group to lean on each other and support each other through these times. Uh, just as a side note, the best nearest picture I could find was when we had taco nacho night. So <laughs> that's another great benefit of having a life group is that you get to eat great food together. Um, but let me just say, man, if you are going through anything difficult or if you just like to hang out and want to connect to people, make sure you're in a group. Um, a place for people to support and pray for you as you wrestle and weather storms. Um, fill out that connection card, drop it in the offering as it goes by. We'd love to help you find a group. But back again to that, how life can be so difficult, um, would you agree? I mean, have you just maybe finished up a semester that was really grueling at school? Or you're trying to find that special someone, or break those bad habits, or, or launch that kid finally, or to beat that addiction, or to keep your family together, and then you come to this place where you fall to your knees and you say, Lord, I need help, but you said that I'm yours, so why are these things happening to me? Why is life such a struggle? 
God's people have been asking this question for years. If we're now children of God, if we're adopted into God's family, like we've read in Scripture just recently, why is life such a struggle? These are questions that the Christians in Rome were thinking back in the first century. They were facing all kinds of things back then too. And they asked the same questions. So we're going to go into the Bible book of Romans today and see if we can find some answers. So we're going to be in the book of Romans. If you don't recall or you weren't here with us all the way back in January where we started this series, we've been just chugging along going through Romans since then for all these months. Uh, Romans was a letter written by the Apostle Paul back in the first century while he was living in Corinth and working there all the way across to the uh, capital in Rome. And these Roman Christians, he was hoping to visit them someday. And so he wanted them to know what the gospel was, what the foundation of all this stuff about Christianity and following God was. It all boiled down to one word, the gospel. So he was going to explain what that was. So he writes this letter, and we've been working through eight chapters of it so far. So because we don't have a ton of time to walk through that whole book to where we've been today, let's jump into chapter eight and see where we left off. Last week, uh, Pastor Mike was taking us through chapter 8, and in verse 15 and 16, he told us how we are children of God. Paul describes it here, and he says, yeah, we're no longer living in a spirit of slavery. We've actually been adopted into God's family, and that's really awesome news. That's great. So life is just going to be awesome from now on, right? Uh, But then when we look at our experience and we think, no, life's still a struggle. So How do those match up? How come I'm a children of God, I'm a child of God that God loves, and yet life is still tough? What gives? And then Paul, the realist, addresses this elephant in the room. Chapter 8, verse 17. He admits, yes, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. What? Suffer? And then you can imagine his first century Roman Christian audience standing back and saying, yeah, yeah, we get that. I mean, you're saying this stuff about how we're like God's adopted children and stuff, Paul, but like when we look at our lives, we're being persecuted. We're starving from poverty. We have illnesses that are killing our families. We're grieving. We're, there's war. There's all these things happening in here. So what, what's the disconnect, Paul? If we're children of God, why is life still such a struggle? That's the question that we're going to go to Scripture with today. And so if you're not already there, please turn to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And if you need a Bible, our ushers are going to come down the rows right now. Just raise up your hand and say, hey, I could use one of those. You can borrow it for our whole gathering this morning. Um, But please open up God's Word because we've got some really good stuff to dig into. So Romans 8, 17 is where we're going to start. Romans 8, 17. And 17 again says that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Glorified, glory. That sounds religious. What in the world does that mean? (laughs) Well, let's keep reading and hopefully we'll find out. Verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And with that, verse 18, Paul sets the tone, the mood, the theme for the whole rest of this chapter. So that's a key one. What does he mean by suffering in verse 18? That just means any kind of hardship a Christian can face. That he has faced, he will face, that she 
has, is facing right now. Grief, inner conflicts, poverty, weakness, illness, persecution. Children of God will deal with struggles like that. But, Paul says in 18, something about how that will pale in comparison with this glory that's to be revealed to us. So what is that glory? Let's check it out. We're going to go down into verses 19 through 22 that's going to describe one element of uh, this glory. And then we're going to look at another section that's uh, 22 through 25, uh, 23 through 25. So two movements here, and Paul's going to break it down into a couple eras of time to help us understand it. So buckle up, stay with us. We're going to figure out what Paul is saying here. Verse 19 says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Paul's talking about nature, uh, not humans, but all the rest of nature. It is, and he's kind of talking about it as if it were a person. So he's kind of like the Old Testament. He's personifying nature. And he says that nature has an eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Why is it waiting? What is it longing for? Well, let's check it out. Verse 20, creation was subjected to futility. That means that when Adam and Eve in the garden looked at the fruit on the tree and said, you know what? God said this is like the only one thing we can't do, but we're going to do it because we're going to do go our own way and rebel against what God wants for us. And they said, I'm going to do it on my own, God. That's when they broke humanity, but they also broke nature too. Everything was broken in the fall. And so nature, so to speak here, is groaning for, man, it's, it's incomplete, it's weak, it's broken, it's waiting for that time when the revealing of the sons of God will happen. And that's going to be sometime that's not yet. It's sometime in the future. So it's waiting. This is the era of time that is, starts with humanity's downfall and goes all the way to Jesus. That begins with the fall and goes till then. Next we see verse uh, 20 ends with, In hope, verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So life's going to be tough, but there's hope. There's hope right here. So hope is that nature will be liberated from its brokenness, made glorious and whole like it was meant to be. And this is going to happen at the end of it all, in the not yet, another era where at the end of all things, things are finally going to be made good again. And nature is going to be the beautiful, perfect thing that God wanted it to be. This is the not yet when we see the heavens, the new heavens and new earth come down in Revelation 21.1 at the end of it all. This is the new heavens and new earth that Paul's talking about here. One more phase we've got to look at. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation now has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And so Paul here is talking about our present age right now. So God's kingdom is going to come one day in its fullness and everything's going to be right again and nature's going to be good again and there's no brokenness. But right now, God's kingdom has come, but initially, not fully yet. So it's kind of like where Paul says, it's kind of like 
a woman giving birth. There's pain now. It's real. The struggle is real. But there's this hope. There's this anticipation that eventually there will be that joyful moment where that, those parents can hold that baby boy or baby girl in their arms for the first time. Finally, after waiting that period of time. So that's where the hope, the anticipation comes from. There's a struggle now, but there's a hope for a joy, glorious joy that's coming. Now remember... Verse 18 is kind of this thesis that sets the whole stage for the rest of the chapter. So comparing sufferings now with glory that's to be revealed later. And so we're going to jump into the section, second section here that starts with verse 23. So Paul's talked about uh, nature, and now he's going to talk about humanity. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit— we who are Jesus' followers, we who have Holy Spirit indwelling inside us, we who God has brought into his family, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons. Now, wait a second. Paul just said in chapter 8, verse 15, 16, last week that we talked about with Pastor Mike, that we've been adopted. So why are we groaning and waiting for the adoption as sons later? Well, see, there's aspects of our salvation that happen now and happen right when God saved us, but there's aspects of our salvation that are still yet to come, that are still being worked out, that are still in the not yet. And so we're eagerly waiting for that. That's what we're groaning for. He's, for example, the redemption of our bodies, the end of verse 23. Does anyone feel like you're living in a fully redeemed body? No sin, no weakness, <laughs> right? I think if we're honest, we can all say no, <laughs> right? But we are waiting for a day where one day that can be true, where one day we will receive bodies that will be completely redeemed. No brokenness, no inner conflict, no incompleteness left in us, no trace of sin. That's going to be a great day. And so we are eager for that. How, how do we look at that future the not yet, and how do we live in the already reality of where we are now? Knowing that that's coming, like, oh, I wish I was there. Oh, I wish I was free from this now. Oh, I wish I could break free from this to, to be in that glorious state then. Paul gives us a clue here again. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. He comes back to hope. This is how we wait. Hope, when you looked at Christ and said, okay, I'm choosing to follow you. Here I go, making a 180, and I'm choosing to go your way, wherever that leads. That was the moment where you became a Christ follower, and hope at that point was just baked in to your new identity as a Christian. So hope is just essential to what it means to follow Christ. We've got this hope in the future. Hope is essential. So Paul says, yeah, that hope that we were saved in in the first place, lean on that. And then he says, now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So this may not be a surprise, but a lot of the things that are the realities of our Christian life and following Jesus are invisible. Um, our adoption into God's family, uh, our spiritual growth, God himself. These are all invisible realities. We can't really see with our eyes, and yet they are no the less real. And so Paul is saying, yeah, these are all things that we hope for because we can't see them right here and right now. And so we wait with patience, he says at the end of the verse, 
with patience. That is the ticket. So we can endure these things with patience. And if you've got your sermon outline in front of you right here, and you're a fan of taking notes or jotting down ideas, this is going to be our first point here. God's creation and his people can endure the brokenness of this life because we hope in our glorious inheritance in heaven. That is how. That's our first point. So if we're children of God, why do we struggle now? Will we patiently endure in this life because of that hope of heaven? So when I think about all this adoption language, I think back to uh, some family friends we have from our old church, Emily and I used to go to. Um, they, uh, this couple felt called to adopt a girl from China. And we'll call her Sarah just to protect her identity. But imagine Sarah. She's in, she was in China for a couple years living in orphanages and foster homes for her whole life. And then one day, someone comes to her and says, hey, guess what? Someone, this couple from America, they want to adopt you. And she was like, oh, wow, what is that? Oh, my goodness, what does that mean? And then things go by, paperwork gets processed, and suddenly it's official. Boom, Sarah has been adopted. She now has a dad. She has a mom. She has an older sister. She has a new home, a new identity, a new hope, and a new future. This is awesome. So there's Sarah with this new reality, but she's still sitting in China right now. You see, her parents still have to book flights to fly over and pick her up. So Sarah's living in this reality of where she's already had her identity changed. She already has the hope of knowing that she has parents out there. And yet there's this not yet of where she has to wait for them to come get her. For those, all those realities to come to fruition, she has to be patient. And so there's Sarah. She flips through the letters that her new parents have sent her. And she learns about who they are. And she eagerly waits for that one day when her parents finally show up and they rush in and they pick her up into her lo- their loving arms and she is home. And I can say now that Sarah's doing great in her new family here in California. And man, it's so cool to see that story unfold. Do you see the parallels in our life with God too? Here and now, we who follow Jesus have already been adopted. We've already been claimed by Christ. Yet, however, we're not in our new home yet. We're not with God in heaven. And so we have to wait. We flip through the letters of our heavenly Father has sent us, and we learn about him while we patiently endure the struggles of life here. But one day, Jesus will come back, and everything will be made right. Ah, the best is yet to come. That will be a good day. Now, we're eight chapters in on the most brilliant apostles' longest masterpiece letter. So if any of this is confusing to you, I don't blame you. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff going on here. We're talking about like invisible realities and different ages and all this stuff. So if you're starting to feel that coffee wear off and that donut kick in and you're starting to glaze over, man, don't worry about it. But stay, stay with us. Stay with us because this is relevant. This describes and this addresses how sometimes God describes our life and we're like, I don't think, it just doesn't match how I feel. This talks about that. So stick with us. Also, you might be hearing this so far and you're thinking, you know, honestly, this whole sermon about struggling again, my life's going pretty good. Like everything's going great. I'm swinging for the fence. It's all gravy. I don't need a sermon about suffering. Well, to that I'd say, uh, wait a minute. 
it, the suffering might catch up to you at some point. But even if you're feeling like, no, there's not really anything external coming at me, like there's still a sense that we are incomplete humans before Jesus comes back and brings us into heaven. That there's still pieces of us that are broken. That there's still pieces of us that aren't whole yet until that not yet time finally arrives. So cling to that. Hope in our glorious future helps us endure the present. So let's see where Paul takes us next. In the next verse here, we're in 26. So Paul's Paul's thesis again in in verse 18 was that the suffering of this life, oh, it just pales in comparison to the glorious future that awaits us. And so as we look at verse 26, he's going to pick that idea back up. So he says, likewise, and he's likewise is referring back to verse 24 and 25. He's like, hey, remember that hope that's baked into who we are as Christians, our identity? Like that, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. The Spirit bears our burdens with us. Holy Spirit does. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Can I get an amen on that? Does anyone ever feel that way? (laughs) I felt that way. We don't know what to pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts, God the Father, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for us as saints according to the will of God. God. So we've got some good news. God the Spirit is living inside each one of us as believers. Every one of us who is a child of God has God's Spirit living in us. And God's Spirit is communicating with God the Father to translate for us our prayers. (laughs) So not only are we approaching God and saying, oh man, okay, I'm about to approach the creator of the universe who knows everything and then try to tell him something? How, what do I even say? And then we also take a step back from that and think, not only that, but I'm an incomplete, broken human being. I'm not even whole of what I should be. How am I supposed to approach the divine creator of the universe? And right here, Paul says, hey, Holy Spirit's gonna help you out. He's gonna give you words to use. He's gonna translate. He's gonna make sure that you guys can connect so that God can communicate with you. And isn't that cool? God is personal. God wants to communicate with you. God has sent his spirit to help. Man, God loves us. That is so cool. So Holy Spirit is the first of many gifts that God, our Heavenly Father, wants to give to us. And so in this way, God's children can endure the burdens of this life because Holy Spirit's help guarantees our glorious inheritance in heaven. Holy Spirit's help is an indicator that like, oh yeah, I do have God working with me. That is, that is something I can trust in. Think about it like this. Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is kind of like an engagement ring. An engagement ring on your finger is so that you know and everyone else knows that you are destined for marriage. Now, you're already enjoying a fun relationship with your fiance and, and, you know, things are good, but they're good, but, but you're like, oh man, I can't wait for that day when we're finally husband and wife for that day that's coming and you're waiting and eagerly, eagerly anticipating it. Can I get an amen? That's right. Got some fun engaged couples here. It's going to be so good, man. So Holy Spirit is like that. He's a pledge 
from God like an engagement ring that's a sign to you and others that you are destined for a different place. That this world of brokenness, suffering, and hurt, this is not your home. Holy Spirit, every time he works in you, is helping you remember that, oh yeah, oh yeah, God, I've got this to to look forward to. It's kind of like back, uh, if any of you remember, two Sundays ago, Christy McKay got to share up on stage uh, with her daughter Jessica and Mike, and uh, they shared on Mother's Day about different insights that God has given them and shared some cool wisdom. And one of the stories that stood out to me that Christy said was that uh, she said every once in a while she feels Holy Spirit nudge her to go talk to someone she's noticed and to comfort them or console them, help them out. And that she'll, someone will come into her view and the Holy Spirit will be like, hey, go talk to that person. And an awesome conversation will ensue in that. And so Christy, in those moments, has a reassuring uh, comfort from God to know, oh yeah, God is working in me. Oh yeah, I do belong to God because his spirit lives in me. So I'm destined for somewhere else. I know I've got a hope in heaven that I can look forward to. Hope in our glorious future helps us endure the present. Now, if we've got this hope in heaven, we have to be careful. Sometimes people have accused Christians uh, throughout the past century of being so heavenly-minded they're of no earthly good. (laughs) Have you ever heard that one? Um, Well, actually, we are heavenly-minded, but we're heavenly-minded for the earthly good. We are fixed on heaven, and we have this hope, and Having this hope in heaven actually gives us the confidence to reach out to people. It gives us the joy to be able to withstand trials in life. It gives us perspective to know how to hold things and how to view things and how to view other people. And it helps give us the possibility and and just the perspective to invite other people into an opportunity to know God too. So be heavenly minded and then reach out and share that with other people. Just a, as, a, as a shameless plug, if you noticed in your worship folder, there's that men's barbecue coming up. I don't know if you guys saw that. Oh, my goodness. Is it up on the screen? Yes. It, it literally is going to be like six kinds of meat that chefs are bringing from their own homemade grills. And it's going to be so good. But I bring this up to say not just because I love meat, but because if you know a guy that wants to come and invite him, it's a great outreach opportunity. If someone doesn't feel comfortable coming to a church service or gathering, bring him to this. It'll be totally chill. Let people know about the hope you have in Christ in that way. Bring them on in. Um, so once again, God's children can endure the burdens of this life because Holy Spirit's help guarantees our glorious inheritance. Hope in our glorious future helps us endure our present. One last point Paul wants to make here in verse 28. He hearkens back to verse 18 again. So the sufferings we have now, they're going to pale in comparison to the glorious hope that is, awaits us in the future. And so in verse 28, he says, we know that for those who love God, i.e. every one of his kids that he's adopted, that are Christians, all of us, all things work together for good. Now let's break that phrase down because that's complicated too. So by all things, what Paul means here in the Greek is all things. (laughs) Everything that happens in this life, everything in this age. Now, wait a second, Carrie. Wait a second, Paul. You're saying that 
that like evil and suffering and, and sin work together for the good of people that God has called into his family? What? How does that make sense? Doesn't God love us? Yes, he does. But the divine sovereign creator of the universe is not orchestrating everything in this world to your preferences. Good here doesn't mean easy. Good here doesn't mean happy. And good here doesn't mean what you want. Actually, good means that all things work together for our true good according to God's will. And so God is the divine sovereign creator of the universe comes and he says, I know what's best for you. I know what's really going to help you grow or help you get through this or help you be ready for that thing when it comes. I know I'm God. So I'm going to work for your good. It may not always feel like you're good, but trust me in this. I, I'm looking out for your best. So that's that's uh, what God is saying here, and it's all Paul clarifies for those who are called according to God's purpose. God's purpose, God's uh, master plan of salvation. So the next two verses, 29 and 30, are going to talk about what God's master plan is. What is his plan? So we're going to get a little view into what God's plans were for us. And so as we go into this, we're going to see five different terms that are all salvation terms, that are all describing different aspects of how God has saved us in different times and in different ways. And it's going to be uh, thick, but, you know, hang on to your hats and glasses. We're going to figure it out. And also, I would encourage you, if you want to know more about any of this, and especially what we're about to talk about, all the definitions, all extra verses, they're on our study guide. It's right out in the lobby. You can go to the resource table, pick one up. There's a ton of good extra verses to go through in the week, and there's lots of cool questions on here to help you apply this to your life. So take out the study guide. I really encourage you to go grab one of those. It's a great resource for you. So God's master plan. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew. Okay, that's our first term. We've got to stop right there. Take a step back. So God, being the infinite creator of the universe, he's infinite and he's, that means he's outside of time. So just like an eagle soaring over a boxcar train, God can see past, present, and future simultaneously. So God knew, he foreknew, he knew who all of his adopted kids would be, even before he created the universe. That's amazing. God knew about us and wanted a relationship with us from way back then. Next, everyone who he foreknew, he also predestined. Okay, that's our second term. What destiny did God choose us for? Well, it says right here, to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Oh man, this is our ultimate destination. This is what we are destined for. That one day we will finally be redeemed, saved to the point where we mirror the sinless perfection of Jesus Christ himself. Oh, that's a hope. No more sin, no more brokenness, all good, all new perfection. That's the destiny that God has for each of his kids. That's good news. That's the gospel. Man, so after that, we've got foreknew, we've got predestined, and then in verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. 
called means that there's an irresistible summons that God called us into his family and we respond. And then what happens? We have been justified. Those whom he called, he justified. Justification is another aspect of salvation that we talked about in Romans chapter 5 a lot. Um, And what it means is that God is the righteous, holy judge. He's perfect. He has the best standard of morality. And then we come in with our sin, and God looks instead at Jesus Christ, who died a perfect, sinless death for us on our behalf. And he takes that and he attributes all that righteousness and perfection and puts it on us. And he slams his gavel down and he says, not guilty, not guilty anymore. You are ready to come into heaven. Your sin has been dealt with. That's justification. Praise the Lord again. And then he boils all this down to its final conclusion. So the whole, all the section we've been talking about in Romans 8 all culminates in this end of this verse here in verse 30. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now remember God's outside of time, so this sounds like a past tense verb. It's actually going to be in our future though. So it's in the not yet. So glorification, this final stage of salvation, it means this, God finally removes every trace and impact of sin from each one of his children. And then he gives us new bodies, bodies that are untouched by sin, unbroken, untainted, bodies that are perfect and pure. We will finally be complete. We will finally be whole, sinless, without any weakness, no struggle, no pain. Man, that is the culmination of the Christian's life. Oh, that will truly be the very best of days. Isn't that a great thing to look forward to? Man, (laughs) hope in our glorious future helps us endure the present. God has been working for our true good, both in this life and the next. He is in control and he loves us. Man, that's good news. Has anyone been to a graduation ceremony this season or recently? It's kind of, it's kind of like that time, right? So, uh, so when I, go, I was thinking about graduation, I was thinking about what it must it be like for the parents at a graduation? Like they're sitting back, they're watching their students walk. And what must it be like for the parent who's just done all that behind the scenes stuff? You know what I mean? Like who paid for that school, <laughs> right? Who bought all the supplies, Who sat with that student year after year at the dinner table helping them with their homework? Who uh, coached that student into their future? Who picked their student back up and dusted them off and said, hey, let's try again. We can do it this time. Go get them. Like, when I think of graduation, I kind of wonder if the parents did the lion's share of the work. (laughs) Could be wrong, but there's so much of a majority of, of effort there. And I think, man... Our parents in these graduation settings, man, they need to be thanked. They need to be appreciated. They need to be honored. And of course, I share that story because I'm thinking of an analogy about God's plan of salvation for us too, because that's what we were just talking about. I feel like it's kind of similar. Sure, we made a clear decision to follow Christ, right? We looked at our old life and we turned a 180 and we said, I'm going your way, God. Here we go. Let's see what happens. Um, I'm yours. We made that conscious decision, and yet at the same time, who paid for our salvation? Who gave us a new heart? 
who rescued us from slavery to sin, who regenerated us into a new being, who set us on a course and gave us a new future, a new hope, a new community. Man, so when I look at our glorious inheritance in heaven, this hope that we have, God's clearly done the majority of the work. (laughs) And so he should be thanked. And so he should be appreciated. And so he should be honored. Last night I was cleaning up from uh, my son Ethan's bath and then I heard this scream of frustration in his room. So I run in there and, and Ethan's there. He's got four cars all piled up in his arms and it's, he's trying to keep a close, tight grip on them, but it's just impossible. They're too big. And so, so there, one falls and he's like, ah, he just screams in frustration and he reaches down to pick it up and another one falls out and he's like, ah, and he reaches down to pick it up and another one falls out, right? And I'm like, son, this is not this can't end like in a good way. Like they're just always going to keep falling. Just take a break. Be grateful for the car that you have and let the others go. You'll feel better in the long run. It's going to be okay. I, I laugh, you know, just at the, the silliness of like Ethan trying to learn this, you know, in, in his uh, two-year-old mind. But um, do we sometimes act the same way as grown-ups? We hold on to things to people or to dreams and we're just not willing to let a single one go. And yet God looks at us, God who is working for our good and he says, hey, you are destined for a different place. You are destined for heaven and you can't take almost any of that stuff with you. So hold, hold things here loosely. Be grateful for the few things you have and hold things loosely, knowing that you are destined for a better place. Hope in our glorious future helps us endure the present. Now, we can't go through a section of Scripture like this, like 29 through 30, and not think, oh man, there's some, there's some hairy stuff in here. So <laughs> some of us may read this and be like, uh, God works all things together for good? Pfft, not me. I mean, I committed my life to God, and it's still going down the tubes. Really? From whose perspective are you weighing your life? Now, life is really difficult, don't get me wrong, but God still has this glorious future for you. And oftentimes when we take a step back from our trials and we look at them from a new perspective and after we've gotten through them and we think, you know what, there are a lot of people doing, going through worse stuff. And you know what, God is still working for me. So I'd encourage you, God has got a future so good you can only imagine what it's like. So... Go ahead and trust in that. Reading Romans 8, uh, 28 to 30, you also may be tempted to think, uh, we can look at this and think, oh, predestined for salvation, huh? Well, I can just do whatever I want then. It doesn't matter what I do because <laughs> I'm already fated for heaven. Who cares? But the Bible says your actions do matter. Um, does the Bible teach predestination? Yeah, it, we just read about it. <laughs> Does the Bible also teach that our actions are truly, they, they truly matter and our choices matter? Yes, it teaches that too. Actually, all of the teaching of Jesus and the rest of the guys in the New Testament, they talk about what a life should look like as we live as children of God. So they're both there. Somehow they're both there. Leave a paradox like that up to the God who's three in one, right? <laughs> But take that uh, and 
Also, I would just encourage you overall, please don't let all these doctrinally rich details in this passage uh, distract you. Uh, Please, we can't get fixated or frustrated or fascinated with any of these minutiae and miss the overall point that Paul is making. The overall point that God's plan to save us is further confirmation of our hope in heaven. God's plan to save us gives us hope. Hope in our glorious future helps us endure this present. So as I studied this passage, it reminded me of, uh, man, just a lot of stuff. And the adoption stuff specifically made me think again of my son, Ethan. And one day, Lord willing, Ethan is going to inherit everything that Emily and I will own. And it's not because he earned it. It's not because he deserved it. It's not even because he's blood. It's because we adopted him into our family. We're delighted to pass on whatever we can, an inheritance that befits the son that we love. Why would we not want to do that? We love him. The same is true of me and you as God's adopted kids. And so I look to God and I just think, Lord, Despite the struggles I'm facing here on earth right now, help me to be thankful for all you've done, all you are doing right now, and all you will do for my good. Hope in our glorious future helps us endure the present. Now, maybe you could pray a prayer like that, and you're thinking, man, that's where I'm at. I could use a prayer like that. Or maybe you're thinking something like this, Lord, Help me to actually live by your spirit, uh, relying on him. Please shape my life to be quiet enough that I can hear your spirit. Oh, and then when I do hear you, please help my life to have enough space in it, enough margin to actually respond to you with obedience and to go ahead and do it. Or maybe the reality of your citizenship in heaven here is, is something that may be striking you this morning. And you could say a prayer like this, Lord God, help me to believe that I'm destined for heaven that I no longer need to make this world my home because heaven is where I really, truly belong. Help me to make a difference for you while I'm here, but to also hold the things of this world loosely. Or maybe you just need to confess to God in this way. Heavenly Father, when I read about my status as your beloved child and heir with Christ, it almost sounds too good to be true. God, give me faith. Help me to trust that you truly do love me, even in the midst of the struggles that I'm facing. We can patiently endure this life by anticipating our glorious inheritance in heaven. Hope in our glorious future helps us endure the present. If you would join with me in prayer, please, let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for coming through for us. We thank you that even though we don't always see it and even though we're not always sure about what's going on, that you chose to adopt us into your family, that we have rights and privileges and perks and blessings galore because you chose to come into our lives and say, that one, I want him. I want to be his heavenly father or I want to be her dad. God, help us to believe that reality. Help us to live and be courageous to invite others into that reality. God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, today, this morning, uh, 
we often love to have a time of response after we're sitting in God's word. And so I'd encourage you at this time, if you're able, to stand with us. Um, And as the worship team is coming back onto the stage, we're going to be having a worship response time that could look a couple different ways. So as people are standing, um, if you feel like you want to come forward and pray with someone along either one of our walls here to the side, our prayer team is going to be moving right now, our pastoral team, and they're all going to be up against these walls. And if you want someone to pray with, come forward and, and, and come pray with somebody. If you want to kneel there in your seat, if you want to open God's word and marinate in scripture more, whatever you need to do to respond to what God may be doing in your heart, uh, jump into that. Meet God in this time. So let's take some time and respond to whatever God is doing in our hearts.